doctor, it's because at the end of the day, the DOD was behind a genocide, right? the, the single biggest crime ever known to humanity. Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigalov was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigalov was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigalov. Thank you for joining us again. So first, I want to stop real quick and thank my Patreon supporters. We have Shell, we have Sam and Angela Shelke, we have Perry and Ty, Kevin, Katie, Joe, PJ, Rebecca, Emmy. We have Amanda, Spets, Nasty, and Jay. Thank you so much for all the support you're giving. I try to get these episodes out early to them earlier in the week than Sunday. So if you're interested in seeing these before they're released to the public, please consider joining for as little as $1 a month or $12 a year prorated per month. Today's guest... We have a very special guest. We've spoken to him before. This is Todd Callender. So he's a lawyer. He's been very influential. It's it's basically his case that is Robert V. Austin, and that's how I first got involved in all of this, is I was able to communicate with him and talk about my medical exemption, and that became an affidavit for his case. And I know I watched your, your arguing, and I think you did a great job. I don't know what the results were of that, but it's great to have you on again, and it's a, one, it's a pleasure to talk to you every time we get to talk. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me, Dr. Sam. Yeah, you were one of our original affiants and, and whistleblower. I think you and I have been working on this whole thing together for, I don't know, certainly one year, if not two. So you had mentioned something just just before we started rolling, that there is a particular someone that doesn't seem to have an oath of office on file. Now, what are some of those details? Yeah, so in our in our preparation for our lawsuit, and as we continued on after that, we created a, a distribution center and a repository for evidence that we had gathered and and self help legal documents, which is. What, what happened in the military and the reason why I think that at the end of the day, the, the Congress kind of forced the DOD to stop the shots was self-help legal documents, all stored at a site called VaxChoice, V-A-X-Choice.com. And that entity actually has paid people who work for it, and they do the research, and they help us provide evidence to our case exhibits and things of that nature. And one of the researchers, really neat lady by the name of Lisa, decided that she wanted to figure out more about the whole paradigm and how was any of this legal. And she sent a FOIA request, the Freedom of Information Act, we call it FOIA, to the Department of Defense and asked to see two things as it relates to the Secretary of Defense. Number one, his oath of office. And secondarily, his registration under FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act, because she also dug up that he had significant interest in foreign companies that would have some bearing on his job in, in the Department of Defense. So the results came back that the Secretary of Defense, according to the military, there are no records of him taking an oath of office. In fact, there's no records at all. The same goes for FARA registration, none whatsoever. So even though there's some publicity out there showing the secretary taking his oath of office publicly, the DOD has zero records of it, and they've confirmed that to us. So, I mean, this is verified, confirmed, and, and received through a FOIA request. Yeah, there's a letter from the Department of Defense. I just sent it to you. Read it for yourself. It's on the Department of Defense letterhead. 
There are many important people that are copied on this. It, it came very late. We were actually gearing up to file a lawsuit because the BOD was so long overdue in providing the response. So I think the day before they, they busted the, the time period that we gave them, they, uh, they coughed up the results, which were none. To me, that seems like that has huge implications. But from a legal perspective, what could that mean? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> All such people like the Secretary of Defense, people in decision-making authority positions in our government have an obligation to swear an oath of allegiance to the Constitution and our republic. And if they don't do it, there's actually a statute on the, on the subject. There you go. That the the net result may be that his position and all things that he's done heretofore would be void as a matter of law. That's certainly the position that we're going to take. Wow, that's huge. Huge. Wow. I mean, we have even you know, everyone has an oath of office whether it be enlisted or officer or warrant That's officer. Right. This is just mind-blowing. Even even elected officials have an oath of office. Yes, that's right. Exactly, which is why there's a statute on the subject. In fact, you know, it's interesting on this on this note. One may think this is anecdotal. Oh, you know, some mistake. But you know, it's not. Over the last year or so when just regular Joe people, Americans that you know, had an interest in stopping their school boards or their sheriffs or their governors, city councils, whatever the case was. They were doing bond claims, and part of those bond claims included the request for oath of office. And what we came to find is that attorneys general, district attorneys, sheriffs, I think there might have been one governor. Anyway, these these people had discovered that there, there was a rampant a number of people in these kinds of positions who didn't take their oath of office. And, and so theoretically, all of their official acts would, would be void as a matter of law. Now, I haven't seen anybody go to trial on this, but I think there are a number of pro se suits that, that are taking place along those lines. That's interesting because lately I've been hearing of this, and I don't want to get into it too much if you know what I'm talking about, but where people argue, and I guess this is a normal court thing as well, where you argue jurisdiction. You say, well, no, I'm, I'm not in your jurisdiction, so you have yeah. no rule over me. Wouldn't this be part of that? They have no jurisdiction sure. over me because they never took the oath that's the prerequisite? Justiciability is the issue that you're talking about. and. You know, I, I think you just touched on something that, that is really bothersome to me, actually. So the answer to your question is yes. What standing does this person have to give any orders, including the, the now infamous mandate, the COVID mandate, and authorization of use of force? But aside from that, you know, doctor, as, as we've been seeking redress in court, and I say we, the grand we, meaning a lot of people are doing this. It's really quite frustrating and astounding to me how many of our cases have gotten tossed out on justiciability issues, saying you have no standing, you're in the wrong court, you're at the wrong time, you don't have damages. That actually happened in our case, Robert V. Austin, and we appealed it and then went to the Tenth Circuit and argued that just on the 18th of November. I didn't even get the first sentence out of my mouth before I was interrupted by one of the judges asking that very issue. Justiciability. Why are you here? Isn't it true that you filed the lawsuit a day before the actual mandate happened? 
So they're searching for any reasonable means, anything, not even reasonable, any means whatsoever, so that they don't hear these cases. The same thing with President Trump and the election cases. The, the courts are turning a deaf ear to us. And it strikes me that every means of redress that we've been seeking, every legal means anyway, we're getting shut down. So you, you make a complaint to the sheriff. They don't want to hear it. They're not going to open an investigation. The attorney general is just the same. You complain to your legislature. Well, they're all handpicked for their jobs anyway, and you hope that you would get some, some day in court in front of the judiciary, and you don't, and you can't. So what precisely are we supposed to do? You know, it's kind of like the, the, the case here. If, if we file suit and say, look, the secretary of defense, is, everything he's done is void as a matter of law, and the court says, I don't want to hear the case. You know, what precisely are we supposed to do about that? Yeah, and one thing that I, this this idea popped in my head when I was listening to your case and when I've been sitting on some of the telephone calls for Coker v. Austin, it seems like well, now everybody's case is moot, right? So it's it's like if I went to the to the judge and said, your honor, the defendant burnt my house to the ground. And the judge says, well, plaintiff, you, you don't have a case because you don't have a house. You're right, your honor. He burnt it to the ground. That's yeah. why I'm here. But you don't have a house. So it's moot. That's <laughs> a great analogy. Yeah, that's pretty much what, what happened in our case. It, what we alleged, and I, I hope we proved in our, our pleadings and our briefs, is that the military, in our case, created what we call an intentional mooting. They created the circumstances just as you described. So, you know, you don't have any standing in this court for a variety of reasons. In, in our particular case, we had a plaintiff who did not seek a medical exemption but was granted one. And so that went to the whole standing room. Well, she was given an exemption. Why are you here? And the other one, you know, he'd had his disability rating pending for a long time. He was pulling his regular duty all day, getting you know, the job done. And yet, amazingly quickly, he got his disability paperwork through just in time, you know, for our appellate hearing. I mean, luckily, he was still in the military on the day we argued it, but he was out, you know, a few short days later. So yeah, intentional mooting is a real thing. And what's interesting is I, around that same time frame, I was listening to this podcast called Bible Project, and I, I think it was an old episode they had, or series, where they were talking about Deuteronomy. And they're talking about judges in particular, and how to judge the law, how to be wise, using God's wisdom to judge issues that aren't specifically laid out in in law. And I feel like, like many in the judicial system, I'm trying to say my words correctly, many in the judicial branch don't seem to be exercising biblical wisdom. They, they seem to say, well, this is the law. This is, this is it. Well, this is outside of the, that law, but, but we're not going to take the wisdom that comes from knowing this and extrapolate it to you. We're just going to say, nope, your case is moot. You have no case because the mandate is gone, even though it was illegal from the beginning. That's what bothers me the most is everything has been illegal. Yes, patently so. Not just in one way, many ways illegal, and nobody seemed to care, not in our government. And, I, Doctor, it's because at the end of the day, the DOD was behind a genocide, right? the, the single biggest crime ever known to humanity. And you know, one can argue, well, they didn't know any better except for the fact that you know, they'd been building this technology, these mRNA and adenovirus shots, for 20 years, and they knew full well— that all of the test animals died, right? So, and, and polyethylene glycol is the base components to 
antifreeze. Never before had it been injected into humans. There were tons of papers that said this is extraordinarily dangerous, and 70% of the world's population is allergic to it. And yet that was the primary ingredient in both Moderna and Pfizer's shot. There's no way to look at this other than as an intentional injurious or deadly attack on people, especially when you, you mandate the shots and authorize the use of force. How else could we look at this? Well, and when you take into conjunction, like all of that, plus what you said earlier about the Secretary of Defense not raising his hand and swearing allegiance to this document, it makes you wonder. Right. It really makes you start to ask questions. Well, I, I, I don't wonder anymore. I, doctor, in 1994, all of the nations on this planet got together in Cairo and agreed to depopulate the planet to effectively kill 7 billion people. Why, why would we not take them at their word? And if you were to do this, let, let's assume that you're now the person in charge. You're the owner of the planet, and you want to get rid of 7 billion people. How would you go about doing that? You know, would you, would you do it through some democratic institution, or would you get the military to do it? And if you could do, if you get the military to do it, wouldn't it be really great and convenient if you could work around the issue of all these Americans having guns, right? If everybody's too sick or dead to shoot a gun, what matter is it that they're armed? So when you look at this from a global perspective and you put yourself in the shoes, if I was the perpetrator of genocide, how would I do it? It all becomes very clear. It's like that idea of the neutron bomb, whether it was actually made or not. It's this, this weapon that kills people and leaves infrastructure. And that's exactly what this does, is it kills people and leaves the infrastructure. Even better, I think, you know, because it doesn't kill everybody at the same time. You'd still have some, you know, useful life in people to, you know, bury bodies or cremate them or somehow convince, you know, a few extra dollars out of their pocket for some, you know, last hope care in the hospital before they put my midazolam or remdesivir in their veins. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a much more clever, it's actually genius means of, of killing 7 billion people, except for one thing. And that is about half the world didn't go along with the program. That might be a little sticky point. This, all of this just makes me so upset that people would, would do this. And, you know, as we get further along, more and more truth comes out. And it's like people who don't see the truth are in a different reality. It's like they're living in, in a fairy tale world when, you know, I was, I was on an SGT report that the day we're airing this, it'll air that day. But like the guy who's talking and who were, were tearing apart his words as he's talking, it's it's just mind blowing. Like what reality is this man living in where he, the things he says and, and on the top, it has a little moniker of truth is golden. Well, it is, but he's not saying anything that's true. In fact, it's 180 degrees the wrong way. Yeah, we are in a bizarre world, aren't we? Before we got started, also, you were talking about some flu shots. Yeah. And I believe, it, was there a service member that, that was having a problem not taking it because of the ingredients, and then he's in a unique position because of the service he's in? Yeah, yeah this is another issue. So while everybody was you know, celebrating the, the win that the DOD is now going to be forced to, to stop the COVID shots, it, it's really a small victory in, in some respects because I know people that were, you know, at the hearing that, that gave rise to this bargain that was struck, and that was that nobody was allowed to talk about cancer rates, which are exceeding 10,000 percent increase now. Um, no mention of Nuremberg, 
and, and no ability or mention of, of holding people accountable. So this genocide has happened now free of consequence. And, and the DOD doesn't seem to care. We've got service members who are in like yourself. And the persecution continues. You know, take the shots, you're out. The military doesn't seem to give a damn that you know 25 percent of our standing army is now going to leave or be kicked out. And then on top of that, the, the DOD just did a, a step to the left. So okay, we won't force the COVID shots on you. We, however, our our flu shots those are mandatory. They always have been. So you're going to have to take the flu shot now. And of course, what we found is that they are also poisonous. They have the same hydrogel in them, along with some other really horrible ingredients. And I just sent you a copy of some of them. You know, one of which, doctor, is fatal if if it's inhaled. So. You know, what, what benefit is it stopping the COVID shots, right? The, the, when, when the military, when the leaders, the owners of this world want 7 billion of us dead, does it matter if it's a COVID shot or a flu shot, right? One way or another, that's what's going to happen. And, and our researcher, the same one who's, who's so brilliant and, and found all this stuff out about our Secretary of Defense, you know, it's dug around for weeks, and she traced back a lot of these pathogens that we've we've found. And it's not just in the flu shots; it's in insulin, it's in tetanus toxoid, Gardasil. They all have hydrogel now, which is where these lipid nanoparticles are. And and those lipid nanoparticles contain programming; they're payloads of gene sequences and CRISPR-Cas9 technology, where they're actually genetically modifying people through the deletion and insertion of other genes. And anyway, she traced it all back to something that she discovered called the death-associated protein number six. Also, it's known as DAX, D-A-X-X, and also gene 1616. So from that, she, she tracked it to a database that's maintained by the Department of Energy, whereby that particular death gene, because that's what it is, was mutated in a variety of different ways to create other pathogens, thousands and thousands of other pathogens. And then you find out when these pathogens get names and, and included in ingredients in other injectables. I assume it's not just injectables. I assume it's in food and it's our water and our air and everything else because... You know, we have evidence of motive. We have evidence that the the government has actually intended to cause these kinds of bioweapons to be unleashed on us. By way of example, it's the NASA, sorry, NASA Langley research paper it talks about the future of warfare in 2025. They talk about microdust, lipid nanoparticles that will release toxins inside of a target's body. So it's not a question of whether they intended to do it. This has actually happened. And now we have a database showing how many pathogens, how hard it was that they tried to figure out how to do this, including the, the HIV proteins in the COVID shots, Doc. They're all there. The other night I had this, this theory just kind of fleeting in my head. And tell me what you think about it. So it seems like there's some infertility issues that a lot of men and women are having after the shot. Yep. There's a lot of death from heart attack, strokes, cancer, all sorts of issues, right? Yeah. So we're, we're seeing them killing people now, the people that survive. Many of them are not able to have children, so that, that's this generation that's and the right. next generation. But then, I'm sure you saw this, but I don't remember the, the name of the company, but they're saying they can grow people yeah. in these pods. artificial uteruses, these little pods, 30,000 in a building yeah. at a time. It's like... And then if you're feeding them and you're 
giving them life, are you then owner? Yes. And if the DNA that you're taking, which they're alleging is from these swabs, it, do they own them? Because that was one of your arguments is the, you know, That's right. if they own your DNA, they own your sequence, then they own well, you. It's, are you human? It, it, yeah, that's the threshold question. And it, it's not just a, a simple matter of, you know, whether or not they own your DNA. It, it, there's a step that has to take place prior to that. The, the sentinel case on this is molecular pathology versus myriad genetics. It's a 2013 Supreme Court case. And what it effectively says, the holding of the case says, use of mRNA to effectuate gene modification in a genome, could be people, results in that synthetic product, right? But whatever it was that they created is now owned by the patent holders. And so you're right that the synthetic DNA, the synthetic organism now belongs to the patent holders. And you're absolutely right. What that calls into question then if, are these people? Because you know, we, we define laws based on the species. For instance, you know, cruelty to animals is, is a crime. That, that is a separate crime from cruelty to humans. If you look at, for instance, homicide, that's the unlawful taking of a human life. If, if somebody kills a dog, is that homicide? The answer is no. So if somebody kills this new species of, of people, again, NASA calls them Borg in that same document, Homo Borgenesis, we've heard. So if, if somebody kills one of those people, meaning the, the ones that got the shot, at least the mRNA shots, is that, in fact, a homicide? And, and there are very big questions as to whether or not it is. And, and my concern is that it does not. Notably, in our case, doctor, I was alleging these very things throughout, going back to August of last year, that these were gene modification shots, and as such, it created property rights in, in the people that receive them, and that's outlawed by our 13th Amendment. That's the anti-slavery provision to our Constitution. Since 1865, you don't get to own other people. And you know what? Not once throughout this process, in the trial court, the pretrial motions, or even in the Tenth Circuit and the arguments therein, did the DOJ or the DOD or the FDA or HHS disagree? Not once did they disagree with that. So you're absolutely right. You go back to The Matrix, you know, the movie The Matrix. That's exactly what we're seeing. We found their patents. Microsoft Corporation actually owns them where they use people for batteries, transmitters, transistors, and amplifiers. And yeah, we have it all. So why would we, you know, why would we think not? In fact, one of the things I can, I can assure you, I've heard complaints that, you know, just because they have patents doesn't mean much. Well, we've actually seen them in use. So for instance, in the third phase clinical trial using the military, it was a study called C4591001. And in that trial, Pfizer used something called the InTouch E-Diary. That's an ePCR device. And what it does is read real-time the biorhythms, what's happening inside of the people that got the shots. And it's transmitting that data through the cell phone circuits to a third-party information gator in, in Israel. The, the laundered data came back because there was all kinds of maladies. But my point in telling you is that when Noah Harari said, we want surveillance on the inside of your body, that technology already exists. It, they already used it in that very study that I just mentioned. So this is not a hypothesis. This is not a theory. I'm telling you what's already happened. We found the patents that describe it, and these people own it, just as you said. You know, are, are these people in the pods owned? In all likelihood, yes.
Wow, I need just a minute to process some of that if you wanna. And what rights do they have? Probably none, doctor, because they haven't been envisioned by the law. When I went looking into all of this, you know, but when I finally figured out that there were no informed consent rights being given to the soldiers, to, to like yourself, it's because these weren't investigational new drugs. These were investigational new gene therapy shots. There's a different legal regime for gene therapeutics versus investigational new drugs. In, in the case of INDs, that's the FDA that regulates it. In the case of gene therapy, that's HHS. And there are different informed consent rights that attach, which are effectively none. Thanks to Secretary Rumsfeld back in 2005 when the military started doing gene modification on, on the soldiers. So they've eliminated that, that whole requirement effectively. So anyway, the, the, the point is that in that research, what I found is that there's essentially nothing stopping this legally from happening. And it's only envisioned that at some point, the, the, the people in politics, the people in charge of the government should probably address what rights these people will have. It actually says that in the human augmentation paper where the Department of, of Defense, I'm sorry, it's not the Department of Defense, it's the Ministry of Defense of the UK and Germany arrive at that conclusion. It's on page 69 or so. But hey, maybe, we should, maybe we should think about what rights these genetically modified people should have. That's yeah. just shocking. And there's no prohibition. There's nothing stopping them. Not in the law anyway. Did you want to talk about the NDAA at all? Well, I think just from the perspective that it, it's, a, it's a hollow win, you know, that the COVID shots are, you know, theoretically going to be stopped. It doesn't really mean anything. The other part that I'd like to remind your, your audience about it seems to finally be resonating with people is the, the use of public health as a weapon. This weapon has been moved under the Department of Defense. It's in the National Defense Authorization Act for the last three years and going forward. You will find that public health gets marched away from Health and Human Services to the oversight of the Defense Health Agency. Again, if, you're, if your job was to kill 7 billion people and you used public health as your mechanism to do that, to, to take away constitutional rights, as has happened when a public health emergency of international concern was declared, everybody's constitutional rights around the world were suspended. Okay, well, how else would you prefer to manage that process of that using that weapon other than the use of your military? And that's exactly what's happened, that public health around the world is being moved as a military function. So they can execute on the deprivation of your rights and the insistence or involuntary introduction of you know, these experimental shots, these pathogens into your body. And by the way, your, your arrest, your indefinite detention, right? That's all envisioned. If you folks want to look it up, look up the law itself. It's in 42 CFR. That stands for Code of Federal Regulations, Part 70 and 71. It's all there. One thing that with this NDA change and the, the removal of the alleged mandate, they already committed crimes. 10 U.S.C. 1107A, they committed crimes. How do we get the conversation from the, the, elected, from the elected officials to change, to go from, oh, well, we're not having the mandate anymore, to, no, we need to figure out who started this crime and who perpetrated the crime and who allowed this crime yeah. to continue? Well, because they all did. You know, this is what I was saying in, in October and early November is the 
in the elections, we have to throw all of them out. And I mean, I mean all of them, because anybody that was in office, anybody that was in a decision-making position for the last 20 years or even the last two years, they either were a part of all of this, this genocide, or they allowed it to happen. All of the steps it took to make this happen from a legal perspective and from a practical point of view, they had to know. I mean, look, as, as simple as the, the procurement part, you know, how was it that the World Bank was financing the, the sale of COVID-19 PCR tests in 2017? The disease wasn't named, right, until March of 2020. The DOD has all kinds of records and contracts called COVID-19, you know, long before it, the, the disease was named that. So we have, we have ample evidence to show that the, the people were involved in this and, and that they knew it. So the only way, we're not going to get a, a, political, a political solution to this doctor unless we have the ability to throw everybody out. I don't even know if we have that. The elections are a joke. You know, you, it's very clear that there was massive fraud for the last two elections. It's very clear the courts don't want to hear anything about the fraud. So I'm afraid that we get stuck in a situation where we are not going to get political redress. We're not going to get law enforcement redress. Our only hope is to educate enough people that we all opt out of the system. Right? The current system is probably beyond repair. We, I think we kind of have to abandon it. And I, and I mean that on a global basis. So we have to start over. There is no government without us, right? without the governed. They must have the consent of the governed because it, there's too many of us. It has to be voluntary. So we just opt out. No, we're not going to do it. And, and you can see the next part is the central bank digital currency. They will control us through our spending. That What they're talking about is programmable money. So you look at China. If they travel too far from their home, I think five kilometers, their money doesn't work. If, if they bought too much meat in the grocery store, they, they can't use it for any more meat. That is, that is being tested in the United States right now, the Fed coin in the northeastern United States. They are going to outlaw cash. They're going to outlaw barter. And I think that's why I have 87,000 new armed special agents working for the Treasury Department, for the IRS. They're going to take everybody's stuff uh, and deprive us of any ability to fight back. So I think our, our only hope, doctor, is to opt out. We, we don't have to go along with the program. We'll form our new parallel society, and we can do it peacefully and just, just forget about them. Uh, Ann Vandersteel, I think you know her. There are 10 million people like her. They, they became state nationals and said, we're not part of the federal system anymore. It's a good start. Well, and right here it says, and this is starting in the middle of a sentence, but accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more, are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms which they are accustomed. It's right there. We'd rather just suffer through it. We're just going to keep slogging away. We're just going to keep getting trampled upon. This long train of abuses keeps coming right at us. We're not going to do anything. And I'm, I want it to be very clear that I'm not advocating for revolution. I'm advocating to follow this document. Because I know CIA, is, CI, counterintelligence, is watching this. I know there's investigators watching this. I, I, I am not trying to call for any sort of vigilante justice. I just want actual justice. I want to follow the documents that I... And all of my peers in the military, except for maybe not all of our leadership, have sworn allegiance to, to defend this document right. from all enemies. And by the way, doctor, never once did you mention anything like that. You and I have been talking about opting out of the system. That's not a crime, right? 
deciding that you aren't going to participate is not a crime. And that's what we're talking about. It's an abandonment of a, a very failed system. And there is no law against that. It's just that, like I, I opt out of the shots. I opt out of wearing a mask. I opt out of social distancing. I mean, I, I kind of like the social distance a little bit because I don't like I like my personal space. But but social distance from family, I'm not I'm opting out of that. You know. Yeah, I get that. So how do we how do we do a better job of it? How do we get people to understand this? I, that's the importance of what it is you're doing. And I, you know, my hope is this, doctor. The, the people, as you indicated, right, the counterintelligence people that are worried about you and they're worried about me, I, I would ask them to take a few minutes and investigate what it is we're saying. You know, is it true that well, that document says what you say it does? Is it true that the Secretary of Defense didn't take an oath of office? I can assure you we have the documents to prove that or at least prove that the Department of Defense has no record of it. You can look up for yourself how many people are dying because they, they took the shots. You can look up for yourself. The use of force was authorized to, to push these deadly shots on others. I hope that the people that are watching this will think critically and understand this is about you. This is about your kids, too. They're coming for you just like they're coming for us. So get on the right side of this if you, uh, if you want to survive. And one thing, you know, I've said this before, but I think it's it's really important to say again is if I don't fight a battle that I should fight, and by fighting I don't mean physically violently, I mean legally and standing my ground, if I don't stand my ground where I should, then there'll be no ground left for sure. my children. Well, that's the plan, right? Well, you, you made mention of it a few minutes ago about sterility rates increasing, you know, I think you're aware my family bought the intellectual property rights to a needle-free mass vaccination device, and I, I got it through the FDA process. That very same company, my sister runs it now, was doing a collaboration with Gabby, Bill Gates, in Africa, testing what? Gardasil. And we knew 20 years ago that the non-controlled, the non-placebo group of girls that were given the shot went home sterile. Why? Because that's what it was designed to do. And you got all girls of childbearing age in all 50 states. Look it up for yourself. Every state has a statute. It's a mandatory shot. They are purposefully giving people sterility compounds. They're sterilizing people. And again, doesn't it make sense? If, you're, if your mission is to depopulate the planet, wouldn't you, wouldn't you stop all unauthorized breeding, as they say in the Jurassic Park? So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, and they put those same sterility compounds in these shots. Yeah, we know that. So we're under attack. Humanity is under attack, doctor. It, it isn't you or me. It is our species. If you look at where fire comes from in the Judeo-Christian you know, tradition, as God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he said, here's fire. Use it to subdue the earth. If you look at every other mythology culture, man stole fire from the gods. And that right there is where the difference is. We were given energy to go subdue the earth. And in the mythology or the pagan ideas, fire was stolen and we shouldn't have it. And so with that idea, well, we shouldn't even be on the earth. I mean, we've been called a cancer by many um, of these, you know, green earth people. Uh, yeah. I believe there was some royalty that said if he could die and come back, he'd come back as a virus yes. 
to kill humanity. Well, they're humanity. not hiding it. Like I said, 196 countries and territories agreed to kill 7 billion people in Cairo. It's not like they hid this, Doc. Yeah, and, you know, and that's actually the mission, I understand, from the, the, the papers that I've read on this. Henry Kissinger himself wrote such a paper in 1974 that, that they want to genetically modify every plant and animal species on this planet for the purpose of spiting God. Right? They, we are their plague. You're absolutely right, and they don't hide that. So I don't know how it is that it's so hard for people to understand this. The, you and your children, your progeny, are the are the target. They they want you gone. You damn well better stand up and do something about it. One thing that I see that will have great benefit when my kids are of age is we will need to have a blood test. And, you know, I don't like differentiating between people that have had the shot and didn't have the shot. And certainly there will there will be plenty of people that, that had it that didn't want it. But I think there will be a desire to have a shot, or I'm sorry, to have a, a test that tells you if someone has been exposed to the lipid nanoparticle. That way you don't begin a relationship with someone who you can't have children with. And that's a horrible thing to say as a physician, as someone who always wants to give hope. But But we have to look at reality, too. Well, I tell you what, my concern on that one, Dr. Merritt has some information on this, is that the sterility compounds they put in these shots are contagious. So, for instance, if you had unprotected sex with a vaccinated person, then you have also gotten these very same sterility compounds and, and perhaps would pass the, those on to others as well. So I think there will be a premium to people who didn't get the shots and who didn't have sexual intercourse or exchange of other bodily fluids. Maybe it's a, a blood transfusion, you know, whatever. There, there will be a premium very clearly for people that, that want to remain human and give birth to human kids, no doubt. And, and even if it doesn't change their genes, just the fact that these lipid nanoparticles are causing sterility, they're causing, seem to be causing yeah. brain fog, seem to be causing all these problems. I mean, that, that's one part of it, and there's yes. the other part of the gene the gene therapy, gene changing your genome. That's just. Yes. Can you talk a little about your five small stones project? I love that name. Sure. So the, the whole concept came from our, our case, Robert V. Austin, whereby we filed suit late August and within a day, we were snowed. We were just buried by service members coming to us looking for help. How do I get out of the shots? What can I do? The, I mean, the phones and the emails, it was it was absolute insanity. And no matter how much we worked, no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't get to them all. So my law partner, Dave Wilson, said, you know, let's just make some templates. And we drafted up some templates for people, and we published them on, on Vax Choice. And sure enough, all the service members, yourself included, a couple hundred thousand like you loaded forms and, and started sharing and collaborating with each other and filing your own cases, 138s and IG complaints and Nuremberg notices, exemptions, and papered the holy hell out of the DOD. And it, it ground the DOD to all. So we, we looked at that and said, wow, we, you know, we could do this on a, on a broader scale. And so we rolled out the Five Small Stones Initiative, which is a, a self-help pro se website with a bunch of lawyers, doctors, nurses, paralegals, and pro se litigants all getting together. It's like a you know, kind of a marketplace of pro se litigation where there are 
templates there for people to download and use for themselves. We offer some training videos, some symposiums, opportunity to, to collaborate and, and advice how to go about doing it. And I'm really pleased to see that people are actually doing that. People are downloading FOIA requests, their own federal or, or state lawsuits, and, and, and fighting for themselves. And I think that's it, Dr. The the salvation for our species is people standing up and fighting for themselves. Whether they get tossed out from court is almost material. It's the act of standing up and asserting your rights to have your day in court that counts. That, that's wonderful. I love it because it's you. You have made a gym that people can go strengthen their spine and learn how to stand erect. Oh, that's and, good. And I like that. Make their spine steel. I, I love it. Well, I like that a lot. And by the way, not everybody has to go to court. You know, a lot of those things that we put together were administrative. So like our service members that, that filed their IG complaints, their Article 138s, those are administrative complaints. You don't have to go get in front of a judge. It's just, you know, it's like filing a whistleblower action. And people did that. And that means that the other side actually has to respond. The act of causing them to go and respond is by itself a win. So, yeah, strengthening the spine, strengthening the brain, too. Because I listened to this rabbi, and he had said that in the Hebrew, when Noah got onto the, the ark, it said that he entered on the bone of the day. And that's not a time of day. That's supposed to symbolize the erectness of the spine and the strength of the spine and how it took strength to go up there, even though he was being ridiculed by everyone around him. How cool. I had not heard that before. Lovely. I'm going to keep that. The, the bone of the day. I'm going to remember what that means. Otherwise, my dogs are going to be jealous. <laughs> yeah, so it's that. And Jordan Peterson talks about this also, that when you lift weights, when you say no, when you do things that you're not used to doing, you change your neurochemistry, you change your biochemistry, you change your whole life. You express different parts of your DNA that weren't expressed before. Your bones become stronger. Your muscles are stronger. Your neuroreceptors are stronger. And you are able to do more. Yeah, that's for sure. That certainly showed in your case, Doc. You've been going hard now I mean, for a couple of years at least. It's really been quite miraculous and, and fun and inspiring to me. Well, guy got me started on this by eating meat first. When I stumbled across eating meat only, I was like, I was in a daze and confused. And this about a month or two before COVID. And I was just like in a cloud. And then I started eating that. And I was like, God, you got this. I'm going to listen to you every time now. I did pretty good before, but now I'm going to do even better. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Is there any pro se arguments that you have, or could you, could y'all make some? I don't want to, you know, charge you with something that I know you're very, very busy with talking to or going to commanders and holding them personally responsible for, let's say, religious accommodation denials or for commanders or doctors specifically. I'd really love to see something for doctors to go after them for denial of medical exemptions, like, let's say, the general, who's also a doctor, who happened to revoke all of the medical exemptions. Yeah. Well, let's start there. You know, they are also licensed, and you can go and make a grievance against their license. So bear in mind here that the Secretary of Defense's order actually said an authorized, an FDA-approved vaccine. There is none in so much that the day that Comirnaty was approved, the marketing was revoked, and never once anywhere on any U.S. military installation 
was any service member offered Comirnaty, meaning the U.S. version. There was some German-made or, or Belgian-made version that was not U.S. compliant that went to a Coast Guard station in Alaska. But for the, the DOD employees, nobody was ever offered anyone because it doesn't exist. It never did exist. So start with your commander and saying, okay, provide me the, the vial. Show me the Comirnaty. It, it doesn't exist. They can't do it. And therefore, how is it that you think you're going to come after me for not following the law? And I would, I would suggest that the, the commanding officer is actually making an illegal order. And I would make a complaint. I would grieve them. I would file my 138 against them. The other part uh, is that you know, lawyers, for example, whether JAG officers have, a, have an obligation to uphold the law, like the officers do the sworn to the Constitution. And I think there are lots of different processes by which you have the ability to actually make a grievance. Start your paper trail. Start your paper fight. And just like the service members you know, did to stop the DOD from any more Comirati, express and use your rights all the time. Just because you're in the service doesn't mean you gave up your rights because you didn't. You're not owned. Your constitutional rights continue. So use them, express them, and assert them in all cases. And, you know, with that whole Five Stones project that you have, it, you know, this is the devil's advocate in me just asking some questions that I, I'm sure you have the answer for. Well... You know, I, I can't do that. It's it's too overwhelming. I'm not a lawyer. I can't do it. Now, sir, aren't there specific benefits to not being a lawyer when you're doing a pro se argument? Yeah, yeah there there are. And, and the, you don't need a lawyer, right? The courts weren't created for lawyers. The courts were created for people to solve their grievances peacefully, to avoid shootouts and, and uh, you know, fights. They're people's courts. They're not, they're not for lawyers. So get that out of your head, first and foremost. And, and you're absolutely right. Pro se litigants are provided assistance from the judges as it relates to procedural issues, because the first and foremost point of the court is to give people an opportunity and a forum to settle their grievances. So we as lawyers are held to a very high standard in terms of something called the rules of civil procedure. If we don't do things exactly right, then judges can kick it out on their own initiative or upon a motion to dismiss. However, when, when a pro se litigant is in front of the, the court, the presumption by the judge must be that you get your day in court, irrespective of who's on the other side. And so when there are procedural challenges, the, the courts have an obligation to really rule in the light most favorable to you, the light most likely to give you your opportunity to have your day in court for your case to be heard. So what you're saying is, don't be afraid to go look at these documents right. to do these things because the judge will help you. It's his obligation and, and duty yeah. to help you. Yeah, and, and they won't take an active role in it. What they'll, what they'll do is give you some guidance in their minute orders or just rule in, in your favor if it's not, you know, if it's not a meritorious you know, motion to dismiss, for example. But there are clerks there that will help you as well. And our, our Five Small Stones has people on standby and will help people there too. Also bear in mind, this is not an all or none quotient. You can start small. Start by writing letters. Start by filing administrative complaints. You can start by filing what are called inspector general complaints. If you work in, in any government office, even some companies that, that are agents effectively for the government, you can file inspector general complaints. Go to people's regulatory bodies if, if the hospitals have been you know, killing one of your loved ones. 
Go to the hospital regulator and file your administrative complaints. If a doctor's screwing up, you know, go against them and their medical boards. Open investigations anywhere you can, especially if your rights are being violated. File a complaint with the EEOC. Right? People don't seem to understand that disability, for example, if you're being discriminated against because you're disabled, and it's remarkably easy to be, the EEOC has an obligation to go and investigate that, even where it's a third party, not not necessarily your employer. Maybe it's a food store, maybe it's a, a government agency, or maybe it's a school. You know, people have rights, and the EEOC is tasked with enforcing those rights. So start there. Start small if you need to. And I also want to encourage the listener, if you haven't listened to the episode to do with Ben Carlisle, please go back and listen to that, especially for the civilians, because they can, they have certain legal purview that they have, right? So they, if your employer made you take the shot, he's trying to use that, that angle or that legal argument that if the employer had you take the shot, the employer is responsible for any injuries that have occurred. And he's arguing those cases in New yep. York. And if you don't, Beautiful. if you're not in New York, reach out to him and see if he knows a lawyer where you are because he's trying to make a network. That's beautiful. It's absolutely right. In fact, that was one of the papers that we had on Bax Choice was a, a liability assumption agreement that people could download and give to their employer. You know, you want me to take the shot, boss? Okay, here, here's the agreement. You sign on here where you're going to take care of my family and you're going to pay my disability and everything else if I take the shot. It's a brilliant strategy. And I would argue, because they're both under EUA, that you can use that same paper, line out shot, and put in mask. You bet. Yep. Well, I'm, you know, masks are, are probably both EUA and investigational new medical devices. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all forced. There is no standing. There is no standards to require it. It's, it's absolutely a joke. Well, sir. I want to respect your time, and I, I greatly appreciate every conversation I get to have with you. And, and thank you so much for sharing you your knowledge and your time. I'll put a link down in the bottom where people can get to the five small stones. Is there any, anything Beautiful. else you want to leave us with? Yeah, I, I think it's really important, particularly for your, your audience. I keep you know, trying to impart to people that this really is about humanity. And it, it takes us all coming together, putting aside our differences, whatever those may be. And I understand it's hard when you see people flooding across the border. You know, we're losing our country, but we got to get past that because we're not just losing our country, folks. We're losing our species. This is an extinction level event, and it's going to take all of us as humans uniting together to stop this. If we're all stuck in, in this mode of us versus them, black versus white, Americans versus whoever else, you know, th those are devi divisive tools to make sure that we're all dead. We gotta get over that, get to know these people, help them if you can, they'll help you. And we've, we've just gotta to come together. Humanity has to come together, doctor. Thank you, God bless, and we'll be praying for you and your family. Thank you, God bless, doc. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear. I recently got a new affiliate. It's Harvest Right Freeze Dryer. I've been using them since 2016. It's a great way to preserve food for long periods of time, up to 25 years if stored properly. Please take a look at it, use the link below. Thank you.